Well, I want to welcome all of our campuses, our South Shore, Gulf Coast, online and here in Little Creek to week one of our new series entitled The Book of Revelation. Come on, let's just welcome our other campuses right now. We are beginning today, this weekend, a seven-part series. Very fired up about this. I've been a pastor, started this church 16 years ago, waited a long time to be able to teach on this. And uh, it is one of the most powerful books in all of the Bible. The, the richness of imagery and symbolism and power and the revelation of Christ. Matter of fact, the book of Revelations had more movies, had more books, more commentaries written about it than any other book in the Bible. Very, very, very powerful, powerful book in the Bible. Matter of fact, I remember uh, I became a believer my freshman year at Tulane and uh, it was a college Bible study. And I'll never forget, man, uh, really giving my heart to Christ and growing the Lord. And somebody said, man, you need to read the book of Revelation. So I read the book of Revelation, and I'll be honest, man, I slept with the lights on for about a month. I mean, I just like, man, I don't know about this. But listen, the more I read it, the more I studied it, what I found is the beauty of this book. It's really a book of, of hope and comfort. It's a book to, to put faith in your heart, that God's in control of your life, regardless of what's happening around you. It's a wonderful, wonderful book. But, but let me ask. I want everybody just to be honest. How many of y'all would be honest enough to say with a show of hands that there's been times where you've attempted, okay, I'm going to do it. You know, I'm going to open up Revelation chapter one. I'm really going to go for it. And only to after about a chapter or so go, maybe a later date. How many of y'all would just be honest? You've been confused. Okay, all, all of us, all, all of us. Now, here's the good news. The good news is, is that God has written in such a way that through instruction, through equipping you guys, I believe at the end of seven weeks that all of us, myself included, we're going to understand the book of Revelation more. Listen, we're going to have more security about not only our present, but also our future. We're going to see Christ in a whole new way. And let me tell you a reason why. Listen, if there's ever a generation that needs to be not only forgiven of their past, but, but listen, grounded in their present and secure in their future, it's this generation. Because things are changing all around us all the time, whether it's economically or politically, cultural shifts, this, that. I mean, listen, I'll never forget my, my seminary professor. One of my professors told me, said, Steve, you need to read uh, the newspaper in one hand and the Bible in the other. And it's amazing when you begin to understand from a biblical perspective, not just reading the newspaper, but seeing life through a biblical perspective, you get God's perspective, things begin to change. It's amazing when you see the things that are happening in our world right now. I mean, just craziness everywhere, literally. I mean, I know you guys have looked somewhat on the news th this week, whether in the newspaper or Fox News or CNN, continuous negative news. So this week, this week, you guys have lied. The, the crisis that's happening, even as we speak, where now there's 4 million people that have fled Syria and Iraq, not all, but primarily Christians, not all, but the majority of which are Christians. Why is that? Why are they fleeing? I'll tell you why they're fleeing. They're fleeing because they're not going to submit to ISIS. 10,000 a day are coming to Germany. I mean, it's like becoming a worldwide crisis. Well, why is that? It's because that, 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 that spirit is driving these people. It's amazing when you begin to see whether it's the Koreas and battle lines being drawn and the, the, the volatile situation, even as I speak in the Middle East right now with Iran and what's going to happen there, Israel and the nations of the world, the anti-Semitism that's happening all over the world again. 
It's interesting when you begin to look at the world, whether it's economically, the jitters in the stock market, China, the underbelly of the whole, what we thought was a lot stronger economy and the things that are happening there. Or I've had people email me and call me knowing the series was, knowing the series was coming. Pastor, what about Harbingers, and what about Shemitah, and what about this? And I'll be honest, man, you get all this information, it's enough to freak you out, to get fearful. I got good news. When I read this book, I don't get fearful. I get filled with faith. I get filled with faith. I get filled with hope. I get filled with expectancy. I am so glad. I'm so glad you're here. Well, well, Pastor, okay, why are we studying on a Sunday? This is not like a Sunday school class, but a Sunday morning Saturday night, why are we studying the book of Revelation for seven weeks? Three reasons. I'll tell you why. Number one, preparation. Would you say that with me? For what? Preparation. As your pastor, I want you to be prepared. Now, let me tell you what I'm not saying. I'm not talking about we all move to Montana and get our MRE packs that we have left over for Katrina <laughs> and run for the hills. I'm not talking about that. Are y'all with me? Get your Coleman lanterns. I'm not talking about that. What I am talking about is that we need to be prepared with an attitude of faith, with an expectancy that we serve an amazing big God and we are in the palm of his hands. I want to, I want to prepare you with an attitude of faith, with a heart of faith. And not only preparation, but also perspective. Revelation chapter 1, verse 3 says this. Very, very powerful. Blessed, John writes, he said, blessed is he who reads reads these words. Just to read the book of Revelation, you're blessed. That's what the Bible says. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and keeps those things which are written in it, for the time is near. John says you'll be blessed. So I think that we need to have a perspective. One-third of the whole Bible is prophetic, apocalyptic. By the way, the word apocalypse, remember the movie Apocalypse? It's actually from the Greek word apaleo. And what it, what it means is, it means revelation. That's what the... The Greek word apocalypse, all right? Apocalypse is a Greek word, which means revelation. That, that's actually what it means. Chapter 4 through 22, listen to this. This is really cool. Chapter 4 through 22 teaches us of the things to come. By the way, if you weren't here last year, this is really important. I, did, I taught through the book of Daniel. How, how many of y'all were here and heard the book of Daniel? I encourage you to get it. Let me tell you why. Christianity is the only religion that has a book that actually talks about the future. And we learned that last year, isn't that right? And Daniel, we learned that in Daniel, that Daniel had a vision. And Daniel, in that vision, saw the Persian Empire, saw the Greek Empire, the Roman Empire. The, uh, it, all of that was in the book of Daniel. In the same way, we need a godly perspective. The Bible says God is the, Jesus is the alpha, that's the beginning, and the omega, that's the end. How many you know God's already been to the future and he can tell us about it? Number three, not only, not only are we teaching this to build in us a faith preparation, a heart of faith, not only a godly perspective, but peace. The reality is that people are scared, just freaked out. Even I'm talking about Christian, non-Christian, just all the things that are happening in the world. But here's what I know. When our hearts are prepared with the word of God, when we have a godly perspective, the result of that, the fruit that we eat from is the fruit of peace. God has not called us to be stressed out, freaked out, burned out, blacked out, browned out, uh, wiped out, wigged out. I'm just thinking about this. I'm just going. God has called us to, listen, to be a people who walk in peace. Just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and going into a fiery furnace. Again, I taught all this last year in Daniel. They were walking into that fiery furnace. Regardless of our, see, it's okay to be, listen, it's okay if everything's going well. Yeah, I'm at peace. 
But can you still have that same internal peace when things aren't going well? That God, God promises us that we can. Now, let me give you three parameters. Again, this is the introduction to the apocalypse, the introduction to Revelation. I'm just laying down some, some, some levy banks that we're gonna, uh, some parameters that we're gonna all flow together with. I'm gonna give you three things, all right? I'll only do this one week. Next week, we'll jump right into the scripture. This is just by way of introduction. Here's three parameters that we're gonna operate from throughout our series. Although the book of Revelation is future-oriented, apocalyptic, that's what that means, we must remember that John the apostle, who's John the Beloved, all right, was writing this book, a letter in essence, to seven literal churches in Asia Minor. Now I wrote, I, I didn't draw it, but I put in your, in your uh, notes this, this map right here. This will help you, all right? So John is exiled on the Isle of Patmos. Technically, this is Greece. This is Greece. This is Turkey, modern-day Turkey. In Bible times, it's called Asia Minor. All right, does that make sense? Technically, Patmos is actually a Greek island, even though it would be closer to Turkey. It's kind of interesting geographically. So John's on this island, and he's writing to these seven churches. That's chapter two and three. We're going to talk about that. And he's writing. So we must not lose sight of the fact, although chapters four through 22 is very apocalyptic, future-oriented, we must not lose sight of the fact that John is writing to seven churches that were dealing with real problems, and God was trying to encourage them, reprove them, and rebuke them. And the truths in those writings apply to us today. How many know when God speaks in the Old or New Testament, he doesn't just speak just to that generation, but that scripture, whosoever calleth upon the name of the Lord, applied in the first century like the 21st century. Does that make sense? So parameter number one, we must not lose sight of the fact that John is writing to seven churches. Number two, although the book speaks of the return of Christ, it is clear, no one, no one knows the day or the hour when he'll come again. Jesus, Jesus said this, Matthew chapter 24. But of that day and hour, no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven, but my Father knows. So, anybody that says they know the exact day that Jesus is coming back again, they're lying. Because they don't know that. Matter of fact, Jesus, look, I believe if somebody predicts a date, I believe they go over to heaven and go, Mary, coming that day. No, 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 no. Jesus said, no one knows. Now, hang on, hang on. The Bible does say that we can discern the season as it was in the day of Noah. Are you with me? But we can't predict the date. I know there's been pe people trying to predict dates for years and years and years, but the Bible's clear. No one knows. Matter of fact, I remember when I got saved, 1987, October 1987, again, I was a freshman in college, and there was a book, and some of you that have been believers uh, maybe 30 years, you, you, you would remember this, but there was, a, there was a book that was written, listen, 88 Reasons, this was in 1988, I got saved in 87, this was six months after 1988, 88 Reasons Why Jesus is Returning in 1988. So, so uh, the, the church where I went at the time on the South Shore, my pastor, somebody had put those, these flyers, not the author, but somebody was promoting the book, put the flyers under all the, on the windshields, under the windshield wipers of all the cars. And the security officer found out about it and the pastor made the guy go collect them all. Now here's what's so interesting. Of course, Jesus didn't come back in 88. So the following year, you can Google this, the following year, that same person that wrote the book wrote 89 reasons. Are you with me? Here's what I know, Jesus is coming back. It could be today, 
It could be in 100 years. It could be in 30 years. I don't know, but I do know this. I'm ready if he comes. How about you? You guys ready? That's important. So this, this is not going to be about Pastor Steve's going to be predicting the day when Jesus comes back. My job is not to predict. My job is to prepare you when he comes that you're ready. Number three. The third thing is the theme of the book of Revelation is regardless of the end time event, regardless of what happens, and we're going to talk about all this stuff over the next seven, seven weeks, regardless, we need to know that Jesus Christ reigns and those that trust him will overcome. Now, there is a theme verse, theologically, it's called a chiasm, what in essence would be the thesis of the whole book of Revelation. And it's a scripture that I've taught many times. This is the key to all the book of Revelation. And this is the third parameter that we're going to flow within the banks of over the next seven weeks. Revelation 12, 11, this is the key, all right, to the book of Revelation. And they overcame him, that's the devil, by the blood of the lamb, number one, by the blood of Christ. We don't overcome the devil because of our cute personality, our intellect, our colossal brain, the strength of our willpower. Number one, it's by the blood of Christ, all right? By the blood of the lamb and by the word of our testimony of who Christ is, and, we, and they did not love their lives even unto the death. There, here's the bottom line. The book of Revelation in the end shows us that good will triumph over evil. That evil will ultimately be judged and the righteous will return. They, they will receive their rewards. The book of Revelation pushes, it ought to push you as a believer to worship God, to have more faith in Christ, to have more of a confidence in what God is doing in your life, regardless of the circumstances around you. I want to keep building here. I do want to mention this. This was really interesting. I, I remember... When I became a believer, there was a, there was a film. The film was called, so, some of you would remember this, it, that if you were saved around that time, A Thief in the Night. Does anybody remember A Thief in the Night? Some of you guys, maybe at other campuses, A, a Thief in the Night. The, the, let me give you the long and short of it. The, the, the movie, in essence, was, you know, there's two people out there, and one person misses the rapture, and the other one, you know, the, goes, and the other one doesn't. And, and I remember watching, I'm a young believer, man, about six months into this thing, I'm watching this thing, and I'm like, I was so overwhelmed. I'll be honest. It scared the hell out of me. Hell's in the Bible. It is a place, and we ought to all get it out of our hearts. Are y'all with me? I was like, Rah! I was like, Rah! you know, now let me just, let me help everybody. Help. Fear does not motivate somebody to serve God. Not long-term. Love. It's the goodness and the love of God that draws you to repentance. Are you with me? So you need to understand something. I'm not going to try to scare you over the next seven. I'm going to teach you the Bible. You ought to fall more in love with Jesus, be more enamored with the person of Christ and what God has for your life. Over there. It's not about fear. It's not about fear. This epistle, this epistle is, a, is an epistle of encouragement. Who wrote it? John wrote it. When did he write it? Around 90 AD. He wrote it. By the way, John the Beloved was the youngest of all the disciples. Isn't that interesting? He was the youngest. Now, tradition says that all the disciples were martyred for their faith. Matter of fact, they tried to martyr John. They put him in a boiling pot of oil, and he got out of it. And that's why, put my map back up, that's why Domitian, the emperor Domitian of Rome, ultimately, they put John in exile. They said, we can't get rid of this guy. We can't boil him a lot. We're going to put him on a rock island out here. That, that's where they put him. He wrote it around 90 AD. Of course, Jesus was crucified, raised from dead around 30, around that 30 AD, 30, 33 AD. And uh, what happened was, if you look at it in verse 9 in just a moment, what happened was the Bible says that John, again, now he's an older man, right? 
This is 60 years after the death of Christ. John's an older man, and the Bible says, John, on the Lord's day, all right? So it's Sunday. On the Lord's day, John has a vision, and he hears a voice. And the Bible says, John hears a voice. This is verse 9. He turns around, and he sees. He sees Jesus. And Jesus speaks to John, and he says, John, write these words down. So you have to understand, John, on the Lord's day, Revelation chapter 1, verse 9, on the Lord's day, he has this vision, he hears a voice, he turns around, and it's Jesus, and Jesus starts speaking to him. Well, what is he telling him? He's telling him, listen, watch this, three things. John, this is how the book of Revelation is divided up. This is going to so help you right here. John, write, write those things that, that have been. That's Revelation chapter 1. John, write those things that are. That's Revelation chapter 2 and 3. That are happening in those seven churches right now. That's the second part. John, write those things that will be. That's Revelation chapter 4 to verse 22. All of this is found in verse 19. Watch how we have the sections. The whole book of Revelation can be divided on this verse right here. Revelation 1.19. The Holy Spirit, again, Jesus is speaking to John. John, and here's what he tells him. Write the things, book of Revelation, write the things which you have seen, past tense. Chapter 1, that's all chapter 1 is. Chapters 2 and 3. And the things which are to the seven churches of Revelation. And I'm gonna, by the way, I'm going to talk about this next week. You need to read chapter 2 and 3 for our study next week, all right? And the things which are, that's chapter two and three. And the things which will take place after this, chapter four to chapter 22. Does that make sense? Chapter one, the things which you've seen, chapter two and three, the things which are currently, chapter four to 22, the things which will take place. Speaking of those things, I do have a little timeline for you guys. And uh, I, I, again, I wrote it, put it in your notes. I'll say this, I may put it every week in your notes because a lot of people find a lot of the things that we, we put together and draw and stuff are helpful. Let me give you a little timeline of chapter four, watch this, to 22, all right? In that sense, futuristic, apocalyptic, all right? So this is where we are right now, the church age. This is all going to be in week two, three, four, five, six, and seven. The next six weeks, we're gonna keep referring back to this, all right? So we're in the church age right now. We're moving towards what I believe scripture teaches is a rapture. And we'll talk all about this week three and four. So just hang on, all right? I'm just touching it here. Week three and four, we're gonna talk about what I believe the Bible talks about. Paul writes, it's in the book of Revelation and in Corinthians about a rapture. First Thessalonians, okay? Where Jesus comes back and takes his church with him, all right? I wanna qualify. There are a lot of godly people. There are some godly people that have the rapture at different places. Everybody believes in the return of Christ. If you're an Orthodox believer in Jesus, you. But not everybody believes in where these events, uh, this is how I see it, and a lot of other godly men. And so if you don't believe in the rapture, that's fine. Uh, I'll wave to you when we go up together. But anyway, so, <laughs> you coming or not? But anyway, so that you can be a part of our church. We love you. You're just wrong. But anyway, so. I'd say that jokingly, but, but so seriously. So this is where I say, so what, what happens is the church is raptured. Then it begins the seven-year tribulation. 
There's a man of peace, a political leader that comes and cuts a deal with the world powers because the chaos in the world right here. He merges, right? For three and a half years, I mean, he's, he's got tremendous diplomacy, political skill, skills. And then we have what's called the abomination of desolation. I taught this last year in the book of Daniel. We first hear about the abomination. Of what is that? All right. The Antichrist goes into the temple in Jerusalem and declares himself to be God. And that's called the abomination of desolation. And he takes his mask off and everybody sees him for who he really is. Does that make sense? Very important. The last three and a half years of the tribulation is where the wrath of God is poured out. It is a very, that's where the seat, we're going to learn all this. The seals, the trumpets, the bowls, divine judgment. By the way, when we're raptured, we stand before Christ, the judgment seat of Christ. We're judged by Christ, not whether or not we make heaven. It's what we do in heaven based upon what we did for Christ on the earth. I taught on that a couple weeks ago, all right? Now, watch this. The second coming of Christ is right here. This is when Christ doesn't come in the clouds to catch us away. This is when he returns. Now, it happens. This is, I've been to Israel bunches of times, many times. There's a valley that goes from the Mediterranean, and I'm going to have maps for you. From the Mediterranean, if I have a pointer, I'll look like that TV preacher, so I'm not going to bring a pointer. But anyway, so... There's, there's, there's a valley, the Jezreel Valley, that goes from, from the Mediterranean all the way to the Jordan River. Listen to this. I've stood right there. In the book of Revelation, it talks about 200 million people will come in that valley against Israel, all right, to wipe Israel out. 200 million people, strong army, a confederation of nations, all right? When they're about to wipe out Israel, the Bible says Christ returns. He splits the Mount of Olives in half, all right? And he comes, and by the breath of his mouth, those armies are defeated. And he sets up an earthly kingdom right here, and he reigns from Jerusalem, I believe, with a literal thousand-year reign. That's what I believe, okay? Now, at the end of that, Satan is bound during that time. At the end of that, Satan is released to deceive the earth one more time. And the scripture, I'm going to teach you both in Ezekiel and Revelation, he deceives young people. You're going to see it, the youth. It's really amazing when you see it. And there's one last battle right here. Not all the young people, but there are some that will be deceived. And there's this one last battle. And, uh, and, then, and then it's the final judgment, the great white throne judgment. We will not be here. No believers will be here. And then the new heaven and new earth is set up. Okay, so that's a map. Uh, a, a kind of a linear progress of really chapter four to 22. Let me give you a couple main characters. We're going to jump into the scripture. I got about 12, 13, 14 minutes and we'll be finished. All right, here we go. Again, we're going to talk about the seven churches. Those are literal churches. Matter of fact, you can go to Pergamon today. You can go to Thyatira today. You can go to Ephesus. All these were seven churches that John was writing to in chapter two and three. All right. It was specifically speaking to them. There's seven churches. We're also going to learn about the two beasts. Whoa, this is heavy. Two beasts, pastor. What are you talking about? There's two beasts. One is a political Christ figure. He's an antichrist figure. And then we're also going to learn about the other beast, which is a, a prototypical, it's a Christ religious figure, but really an antichrist figure. You're going to, I'm going to explain what they're, I'm also going to talk about the two witnesses. Two witnesses. Yeah, in the tribulation, there are two witnesses that come in the power and the spirit of Elijah and Moses, and they come into Jerusalem and do some really cool things. I'm going to, I'm going to show the two witnesses. By the way, I've been to Israel. I have a real love and a passion for Israel. And I trust that you'll develop that as well. There's a massive anti-Semitism happening in the earth today. I don't know if you know, and on college campuses in a big time. 
way. What's interesting is, and we love Palestinians in this church too. Absolutely, God loves all people, but there's a uniqueness about the nation of Israel. I'll talk about that week four, five, and six. What's interesting about this whole thing is during the tribulation, 144,000, 12,000 from each 12 tribes of Israel, 144,000 Jewish people are going to get born again, and they're going to be evangelists all over the world. It's really fascinating. I'll explain it all in the scripture. So we're going to talk about the two witnesses. We're going to talk about the harlot, this mysterious character, the harlot, and what she does seeking to lead the church into spiritual adultery in the end. Uh, it's really, really interesting. And then the superhero of the whole book of Revelation, do not miss this, it is Jesus. Jesus is the superhero. How many are all excited about that? So, so you have to get the context. We're getting ready to open up chapter one. I'm gonna talk for about 10 minutes. The context is, in Rome, there's Caesars, right? Remember, Julius, there's all these Caesars. There was Nero, who was a Caesar, around 60 AD, and he was really persecuting the church. By 90 AD, Domitian, who was a Caesar Domitian, he was a Roman emperor. He had a hatred for Christians. Don't miss this. This is the context. So much so that at the end of his reign, you couldn't buy, sell, or trade as a Christian. John, Jesus appears to John and says to John, John, tell the church this, all right? They were under so much persecution and so much suffering, and that's why it was so important. To him who believes and trusts in me, to that person will overcome, all right? You understand the overcoming thing. Listen, you're not an overcoming unless something comes at you that you gotta get over. That was good, I just thought of that. You, there, there. You, 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 to overcome, something has to come. What was coming at them was persecution. Persecution was everywhere. Pastors, the book of Revelation for me, why are you doing this on a Sunday morning? This should be a class with 10 people. No, let me tell you why. Because there's some of you that have been on, on your job recently and you've been challenged by your boss to compromise your ethics and your morals and your integrity. And you're under persecution. The book of Revelation's for you. There's some single people, there's some young people, let me say it this way, young people that are on college campuses right now and they're being mocked, ostracized, and alienated because they're being made fun of. You're a, you're a Christian? Are you you're a, you're a hater. That's what you are. A hater? What do you mean I love people? I serve people in the name of Jesus. No, 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 no. You're judgmental. What do you mean I'm ju I love Christ. I love people. I, Jesus died. So, 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 so you're being persecuted for your faith. Listen to me. The book of Revelation's for you. By the way, you ought to look in the news. More Christians are being persecuted even now. In the, in the history of the world, all over the world. So far in our country, it's not as bad. Are you with me? But what about the single person that's in the hookup culture and you're trying to say, I want to keep my sexual purity and somebody's putting pressure on you. Oh, come on. You're under the book of Revelations for you. The book of Revelations for every single one of us. It's for every single one of us to, to, to know how that we can stand and that we don't have to give in and that we can walk with God. So we have to know this. We have to know this, the book of Revelation. If you look, at the, look in your Bible, it says this, John writes, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Jesus in the end is the focus of the book of Revelation. It's the revelation of Christ. John, John hey, John. Yes, Jesus. John, tell them who I am. If, because the moment they get a picture of me, John, they're going to overcome if they trust me. All right, Jesus. All right, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm, I'm writing as fast as I can. I'm going to do it. All right, Revelation chapter 1. You guys ready? Say yes. 
Revelation chapter 1, verse 4 to 6. I got about 10 minutes, and I want to teach you that next week, I took 20 minutes introduction. I'm going right into the scripture next week, all right? Revelation chapter 1, verse 4. Again, John's right here, the Lord's day. He has this revelation from Christ. He hears a voice. He turns around. He sees Jesus, and Jesus says, start writing. All right? About what? The past, the present, and the future. I'm going to give it to you, John. Revelation chapter 1, verse 4. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne. Those are seven manifestations of the Holy Spirit. Isaiah 11, I can't unpack that right now. It's the Holy Spirit and the manifestation of God. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness. Whoa. And the firstborn from the dead and the ruler over the kings of the earth. To him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Verse six. And has made us. John, tell him. John, tell him what I made him, John. There's suffering persecution. John, don't miss this. Tell him what I made him. Do you see the context? Tell you what Jesus said, guys. He's made us kings and priests to our God and Father. To him be the glory, the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let me talk about Jesus just for a moment because Jesus is the focus of the book of Revelation. Number one, he is the truth. Revelation 1.5, Jesus Christ, the faithful witness. He is trustworthy. He is faithful. He can be relied upon. Aren't you glad in a world where people break their promises and break their, you know, hey, listen, I'm going to do this. Aren't you grateful that we serve someone that doesn't break his promise? Someone that is true in a culture, listen to me, in a culture that is so shifted. It's so shifted where there used to be truth in our culture. There used to be object. Now there's no, tr there's no objective truth in our culture. It's subjective. It's based upon public opinion, political polls, intuition, feelings. It's subjective. There's no objective reality according to culture. Well, not according to the Bible. According to the Bible, there is truth. His name is Jesus. And he's given us his word. Truth doesn't shift. Culture changes, but the truth never changes. Jesus is the faithful witness to the truth. Number two, it's not only truth, but the Bible says he is the life. Revelation 1.5, Jesus Christ says the, he is the firstborn. Watch this. Don't miss this. He's the firstborn from the dead. Pastor, what does that mean? I'll tell you what it means. He was the first one. Don't miss this. He was the first one to be resurrected from the dead. I had a guy come in the spring, ask me a phenomenal question. He said, Pastor, you've always taught that Jesus was the only one that raised from the dead, was raised from the dead, and yet you just taught this morning Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And it's clear here that Lazarus was raised from the dead. Wasn't he resurrected? I said, No. Actually, I, he got me. I said, I gotta think about that. Hmm. Came back a week later and I actually talked about it on the weekend. The truth is, Lazarus wasn't resurrected, he was resuscitated. He died. And he came back to life. But then he died again. Resurrection is you die, you come back to life, and you never die again. I'm going to teach you guys that when Christ returns, the Bible talks about the resurrection of the just. Check this out. That our bodies, yes, your body, whether it was cremated or not, okay, your body is rejoined. This is in the book of Corinthians. I'm going to teach you in the Revelation. Your body is rejoined. Uh, with your soul, and you get a new body, a glorified body, and you're and you to never to die again. How many are grateful that when you get a new body, you will no longer have to work out to keep it off? Come on, can I have a witness in the house of God? 
You can eat Popeyes and be a Christian and not feel guilty. <laughs> can I have a witness? Again, I got to be careful because I'll slip into chapter four, five, six, and eight. Jesus is also the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And that was so threatening. That is so threatening to the Roman Empire. Because now we're Domitian, just like the book of Daniel last year where I taught Nebuchadnezzar, bow down and worship Nebuchadnezzar. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We're not bowing down. Christians are to honor all people, but we only bow down to Jesus. Does that make sense? John, John, tell them, hey, John, tell them honor all people. But you tell them that, listen, they only worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Wow. That's what made Caesar Domitian so upset with these Christians. What are y'all doing? We honor people. We even honor people we disagree with. But we only worship and bow down to Jesus. Wow. So what is he doing? I'll tell you what he's doing. Three things. And this is all by way of introduction to set up the book. He's loving us. Revelation 1.5, to him who loved us. John, you know what happens when somebody's going through a hard time? Listen to me. You know when somebody's going through a hard time? You know one of the first thoughts that comes to their mind? Nobody cares about me and nobody loves me. I believe it was so critical that Jesus was telling John, 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 John come here. You tell him how much I love him. You know, I came from a home. My parents told me that they love me. But I'll be honest, there was some performance orientation in my life where and I was indoctrinated in the culture in which I was brought up where, 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 where basically love is, I love you if. I love you if you do this. I don't love you if you do that. What's so amazing is God was telling John, John, you tell him how much I love him. I lo do you know what the love of God is? I love you in spite. <laughs> I love you regardless. Come on, how many of y'all grateful for the love of God? Aren't you grateful? John, tell him, not only number one is he loving us, present tense, but he's also setting us free. John, I can wash them and cleanse them. Tell them, they're shackled in sin. And you're gonna see in a couple, you're gonna see next week the seven churches. Oh my gosh, you're gonna see what they were involved with. There was some encouragement, a lot of admonishment, and some rebuke. And they forgot that in the gospel, listen to me, sir, maybe that you're new here. The gospel is not about self-salvation. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. No. Somebody told me that one time. You know, Christianity is just a crutch. I said, no, 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 you got it wrong. Christianity is not only a crutch. It's a wheelbarrow. It's an ambulance. It's an emergency room. You're absolutely right, because I can't do it without Christ. But in Christ, we can be set free from sin. In Christ, I remember there were some things before I became a Christian, I just couldn't, say, I couldn't, I couldn't stop doing them. Because sin's a spiritual principle, but how many know the spiritual principle of the blood of Christ is stronger than the wickedness of sin? Setting us free. Everyone say, he's setting me free. Number three, he gives us a new position and purpose. Verse six, he's made us to be kings and priests. Pastor, He's done what? Yeah, yeah, don't miss it. You're going to see this in the book of Revelation. Listen, that God has called you to be a king and a priest to rule and reign with him. You're not over him, but you come alongside of him. We come alongside him with purpose and intentionality. We're not just wandering through life, trying to figure out life, but when we walk with God, we have the Holy Spirit in our hearts and we read this word, this GPS map, let me tell you something. We know exactly where we're going. We're going to heaven. We know exactly what we're becoming. We're becoming men and women of God. Yeah, there's a, an intentionality in the life of someone that knows God. 
Well, pastor, what should we do? Two things, two things. This is going to be all throughout the book. All this is introduction. I got about five minutes. Y'all stay with me. Two things. Number one, everyone say fear not. Come on, say it again. Say it. Fear not. Number one, do not fear. Listen to me. I want everybody to hear what I'm about to say. The Bible says in the last days, listen, this is in the Bible, that men's hearts would fail them because of fear coming upon the land. There's so much fear. I'm talking about with believers, unbelievers. There's fear. As things are just, Pastor, is it going to get darker? I think the darkness will get darker, but the light's going to get lighter. The brightness of God's favor upon his people. I mean, tell you, there's just brightness upon his people. But listen to me very closely. That's why, that's why fear should not be a part of a believer. We should resist fear. We rebuke fear. We do not submit to fear. Fear is a spirit. It's not only an attitude, it's a spirit. And that's why Jesus, watch this. And that's why Jesus told John, John, chapter one, right? John, you tell these seven churches. Watch this. Verse 17, very, very powerful. But he said to his right hand, but he, but he laid his right hand on me saying, John, watch this. John, come here. Son, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I tell you, I love the fact that we serve a God, listen, that not only created the future, he's been in the future. He secures our presence and our future. 366 times in the Bible. This is really cool. 366 times in the Bible, it says fear not. One for every day. Fear hits us every day. Hits me all the time. <laughs> oh, gosh. I often wonder why it was 366. There's 365 days in a year. I mean, oh, God thinks about us on leap year. Are y'all with me? <laughs> he didn't forget about us. Everybody say, fear not. All right, two things the book of Revelation is going to teach us. Fear, we're not going to fear. We're not going to fear, regardless of what happens around us. Not because we're so strong because we're filled with the faith in the word of God. Number two, we're going to resist conformity. Watch this. Woo, pastor, this is heavy. It's the Bible. We're going to press back on pressures and culture to conform us to the values of society that contradict the word. We're going to honor all people, but there's a line where when you're asking me to do something that directly contradicts this word, I can't go with that. Revelation 12, 11. Remember the whole chiasm. The theme verse, the, 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 the theme of the book of Revelation. Here it is, Revelation 12, 11. And they overcame everything that's coming at you as a believer. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb, by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives unto the death. I talked to teenagers for 10 years before I started the church 16 years ago. I was a youth evangelist. And I remember kids would come up, Mr. Steve, I, I, I would die for Jesus. And I remember telling this kid one time, I said, listen, man, if you won't live for Jesus in your school, you're surely not going to die for him. It's much harder to live for Jesus every day. Come on, are y'all with me? To live for Christ. I'm not talking about going to Target and getting the intercom. Hey! If you don't know Christ, then that's, that's not Jesus. That's stupidity. I'm not talking about I'm talking about living holy in an unholy world. Are you with me? And listen to me very closely. This is so important. There's always been two extremes in the body of Christ. One is, it's so bad out there. Let's get out of here. Let's escape. Let's all, let's get our rations and our food. We'll all live together. Well, let's all live together and let's hide from the dark, bad world. And the other extreme is over here where they become so part of the world, they're so blended in the world, they're just worldly. There's no distinction. 
How can the light, Jesus called us to be salt and light. How can light hide in Montana with an MRE packet? I got Christians, I, email, pastor, I'm taking off. I'm going to move somewhere. I'm going to, time out. Where in the Bible does it say escape? The last time I heard in the Bible, it doesn't say escape. It says occupy till I come. Are you with me? You impact the business world, the arts and entertainment, the academic. Surely they're going to persecute you, but you be full of faith. Do your job excellent and let them see your good works and glorify your father in heaven. That's the call on a Christian's life. That's the call. We're not trying to escape. And we're not going to so blend in, man, like an incarnational. No, you look like a heathen, just like the rest of them, man. You ought to stand up and stand out at some level. Sorry, that was a little soapbox. But anyway, let me go to the last point. I never forget, I was a Tulane. I had so much pressure to conform. I was a Christian. I had friends that were Christian. Steve, you're getting too radical. What do you mean radical? I'm making good grades. I'm standing up for Christ. I'm loving Christ. I'm befriending heathen professors, that, and I'm, I'm, I'm walking with Jesus. We can make an impact. Listen to me. At the end of this series, I want to get you so fired up, you're ready to charge hell with a water pistol. Come on. And I mean that. Look, hey, I dare you to be a Daniel, to be a Joseph, and to be an Esther in your generation. That's what God's called you to be. Let me give you this last and final thing. You ready? Revelation chapter 1, verse 14 and 15. When John turns around, oh, whoa. Remember the last time John saw Jesus. John, behold your mother. Behold your son. It's the last picture in his mind. And now he turns around. Oh my gosh. Jesus. Look at the picture of Jesus now. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like a flame of fire. And his feet were fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. Do you know that Jesus? Do you adore the awesome, glorious, powerful Jesus portrayed right here? Or, and I say this respectfully, have you adopted, have you adopted a culturally appropriate, mild manner, sweet, user-friendly Jesus. Let me help everybody. He died as a suffering lamb, but he's not coming back as a suffering lamb. He's coming back as a roaring lion. That's what the Bible talks about. That's what the Bible talks about. That's what the Bible talks about. Let me pray for you. Let's bow our heads. Jesus, we thank you for your presence here. We honor you, we worship you, and we adore you, Jesus. If you're in this place today and you do not know Christ, I have one moment left. This is very important. If you do not know Jesus, if you're not sure about your relationship with God, if you're not sure if you die today, you're ready to stand before God, I want to pray for you. The Bible says whoever calls upon the name of Jesus shall be saved. I can't save you. Our church can't save you. Being a part of a denomination can't save you. Jesus saves. Do you know Christ? Are you sure if you die today, you're ready to stand before God? At every one of our campuses, South Shore, Gulf Coast, online here at Little Creek, in just a moment, the count of three, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand and say, Pastor, pray for me. I need Jesus. I'm not sure if I died, but I'm ready to stand before God. The Bible says whoever calls upon that name, the name of Jesus shall be saved. Are you sure? 
You know that you know that your sins have been forgiven. And maybe you're in here and say, Pastor, man, I just sense the Holy Spirit. I just sense something has been drawing me. It's God. You're not sure that you're at peace with God. You can know that you know that you know that your sins have been forgiven. You're right with God. The count of three all over this place at every one of our campuses. Pastor, pray for me. I need Christ. If that's you, one, two, I don't want you to hesitate. Three, hold your hand.